And we read this psalm as we come before the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 10 concerning the truth of God's providence. Psalm 33, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men from the place of his habitation. He looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. This morning, as we continue the Catechism's exposition of the Apostles' Creed, we turn to Lord's Day 10, considering its two questions and answers, 27 and 28. What dost thou mean by the providence of God, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things? That we may be patient in adversity, 
thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, so that nothing shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures are so in his hand, that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 10 is an expansion upon what was considered in Lord's Day 9. You considered many of the implications involved in the confession, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. One of those implications is that Our Father God is a great God. His greatness is seen in all the handiwork of His creation. Psalm 19 expresses it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. And that truth is affirmed in Romans 1, where we are told that all men, bar none, know that God is, and know his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are left without excuse when they refuse to worship the creator of the universe. They know those things concerning God, and that he must be worshipped and glorified as God alone, because the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. But Lord's Day 9 also pointed to God's greatness being evident from the fact that he upholds and governs the heavens, the earth, and all that is in them by his eternal counsel and providence. And that's the truth we consider this morning in Lord's Day 10. The creator of all things, the almighty God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our father, is and must be the Lord of the universe. Not only are all things of him, but all things have life and continue to exist by him. And not only that, but by him all things work together to accomplish his sovereign purpose and good pleasure in everything that he has determined. So from moment to moment, God is the Lord of the universe, the sovereign over all, and he is so in the absolute sense of the word. You can look at at all the creation from every respect, It's all in God's hands. All the heavenly bodies, the entire solar system, the sea and the continents and everything that happens in every country of the world, seed time and harvest, rain and sunshine, the food that we eat and what we drink, the air that we breathe, the power of mind and will, the strength to work, 
All these things exist and work each in its own sphere and each serving the whole purpose of God only by the will and power of the Almighty. In Him, we live and move and have our being, as Paul stated in Acts 17 to the people in Athens. God is Lord of all. But as I said, everything that God does in upholding and governing this vast universe, he does for a purpose. Everything that takes place, takes place according to the will of our Heavenly Father. And it's that connection between God's will and his providence that I want to focus on today. That connection you heard mentioned in Lord's Day 9. All things happen by God's eternal counsel and providence. And that truth is set forth here in Lord's Day 10, set forth as the basis for our advantage in knowing God as our Father for Jesus' sake. All things come, not by chance but by his fatherly hand. And nothing shall separate us from his love. Because according to the last expression of question and answer 28, all creatures are so in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. So we focus this morning on that inseparable connection between God's counsel and his providence as I call your attention to the Lord of all. We notice first of all his universal lordship, secondly his purposeful lordship, and finally his advantageous lordship. The truth of God's providence is a truth that gives expression to God's universal lordship. He is Lord of all creation. And that means in the first place that God is the absolute owner of the entire universe. Scripture says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. They are his by virtue of the fact that he created them. And he did so for himself. We read that in Psalm 33, verses 4 through 6. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 50 emphasizes this truth to incite within the hearts of God's people a fervent desire to praise him and to seek his face. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Verse 7, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, 
and I will testify against thee, I am God, even thy God. And then he says in verses 10 and following, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He alone is Lord who calls the things that are not as if they were. And all things continue by the word of his power alone. God is Lord of all. If you and I will confess this great God as our Father and know the advantage of our relationship to him, then we have to remember this truth because it's the very nature of sin to deny this. And our own sinful flesh brings us into constant conflict with this very truth. The sinner, by the deceitfulness of his own heart, wickedly imagines that he is Lord. Lord of himself, Lord of all that surrounds him, Everything focuses upon him. And that's our sin too, beloved. That's our sin when we put ourselves first and we seek first the things of this life over against the calling to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our sin when we make decisions without even consulting our Heavenly Father, or when we make decisions that directly contradict the calling that He has given us in His Word. We wickedly imagine that we are Lord when we refuse to glorify God and be thankful, when we complain and call God to give account of his ways with us? And we do those things sometimes, don't we? It's possible to deny the lordship of God even in our exercise of religion. The abominable expression of self-righteousness is nothing less than a denial of God as Lord of all. Perhaps we attend worship faithfully or bring our offerings and piously feel that the Lord is by that fact obligated to us. Or perhaps we, we speak of doing something for God and feel thereby that we can claim reward. But if we understand this truth that God is Lord of all, then we shall understand he is never obligated to us. But we are always obligated to him. And he alone has the divine prerogative to tell us how we should live and what we shall believe. That's his right. Because he is Lord of all. 
His is the right to use us for the purpose he has determined in whatever way he sees fit. And no one has the right to open his or her mouth against him and say to him, What doest thou? And even when by his grace we understand these things spiritually and glorify and worship him as God the Lord, we may thank him for the blessing that we may do so in whatever capacity he gives us as a worshiper of him. Still more, when we confess that God upholds and governs all things, that means that the being of God touches the being of every creature. Note well, we don't mean to say God is all things. That's not true. Pantheism says God is all and all is God. That's the thought that permeates New Age philosophy. That's the heresy that worships the animal world and worships self-esteem and self-righteousness. That's not scripture. But when scripture says that in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being, and that God upholds all things by the word of his power, it means that the being of God touches the being of every creature. I say it even more strongly. The being of God touches every single atom, every nanoparticle of creation. One cannot study science properly without recognizing this truth. There is nothing in the world in which the being of God does not touch that particular part of creation. If God withdrew his hand, but for a moment, there would be nothing left. That's true of everything. Everything in the creation is made up of living organisms that find their existence in God. Not only men are living creatures, not only animals join the ranks of living creatures, the whole creation is living. The plants, that the plants and trees live is quite evident, but even the soil teems with life. Pick up a handful of dirt in the farmer's field. Your hand will be full of living organisms some of which you might see only under a microscope. But everything lives and moves. Every single atom moves and moves in such a way that every single thing in this creation must redound to a certain definite end, the glory of God. That's true even of the things that we recognize as harmful. 
germs, viruses. They're living too, aren't they? And those bacteria that cause infection, serious infection, sometimes even kill, are living creatures that move according to God's will. You hear from time to time of of various events taking place in the creation. Some events we might consider very strange. A few years ago, I, I recall where biologists and scientists were very concerned, and perhaps rightfully so, in the discovery that in the wetlands through the entire northern tier of states, including Canada, extending all the way to the Canadian province of Quebec, thousands of frogs were were being born with multiple deformities. Biologists didn't know why. Was it something in the water? Is it something that could affect humans? You can understand why that would be a major concern. But you know, we can look at those events, even as we looked at COVID, and realize this is all happening under the sovereign hand of God. We ought, in the light of the scriptures, to receive it as a sign of Christ's coming. One of the many signs seen in creation and perhaps even affecting our own lives. But don't forget, Nothing escapes the providential government of God. Nothing. But this sovereign dominion of the Almighty Lord God is not limited to creation and to irrational living creatures. It embraces all the actions of men and angels, including the thoughts and desires and intents in the hearts of all men. If there are many who deny God's handiwork in creation, there are more who deny his sovereignty when it comes to the thoughts and actions of men. At least here they would say, in the heart of man is a sphere outside God's government. Man's heart is is free. His will is free. He thinks what he wills, he wills what he thinks, the path that he follows is his own. That's the way most people think. But I say again, that's not scripture. Listen to how the inspired Jeremiah puts it in Jeremiah 10 verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. In Proverbs 20, verse 24, we read that man's goings are of the Lord. So true is that, that as Solomon explained in Proverbs 16, 
the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. All verses from Proverbs 16. Do you want to talk about a free will in man? All right. Man's will is free. But it's free only to do what is in harmony with his nature. And because man is totally depraved, his will is free only to do the evil. Some freedom. Martin Luther referred to that freedom as the bondage of the will. Man is in bondage to sin. That's every person apart from Christ. The only change comes by the work of God's grace and spirit when he makes new creatures of those who were in bondage. You are new creatures in Christ. And when new creatures, you're not enslaved to sin any longer. You now mortify the deeds of the body, says the apostle, putting off your sins, fighting against them. But be very clear, every step that we take is from the Lord. Oh, I know that brings up a question, the answer to which we do not have. Maybe God will make it clear in heaven, or it might be we shall never see the answer because God is so highly exalted above us. I speak of the question concerning the relationship of God's sovereign government and sin. We can't solve that question. But we must nevertheless maintain the truth of Scripture concerning this matter. Sin, corruption, and death are all in God's providence. Sin too. Scripture makes that perfectly clear. Even the most heinous sin ever committed, the persecution and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, took place as we read in Acts 2 and again in Acts 4, according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God determined that. Even to every last detail. And he did so to fulfill his word set forth repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. When Adam sinned and caused the downfall of the whole human race, that was according to the sovereign counsel of God. Scripture reveals that God did not purpose Adam to continue in his righteousness. He would show 
righteous, his righteousness in the Christ who was to come. God would make himself known in all his glory as our Father for Jesus' sake. And God therefore governs the sinner even with respect to the sinner's evil deeds. Again, there can be no question about that. It's, it's taught throughout the Bible. But when you ask the question, how can that be since God is righteous and holy and since he himself cannot commit evil? Then I say, I don't know. But I don't have to know. God leaves man responsible, accountable, in regard to man's thoughts and deeds, his sinful thoughts and deeds. Man's sin is no reflection at all upon the holy character of God's being. Scripture also makes that very clear. So I don't have to know how those two thoughts fit together. What God tells me is sufficient. And for the rest, I am content to say, God is God, and I am a mere creature. I can't explain God's mind. The things, there are many things of God that are beyond my comprehension. And let's notice, this matter is not a matter of contradiction, which would, which would rob us even of knowing God. This is a matter of God revealing only so much and no more. All things are so in God's hand that even sin and evil and the devil and his hosts must move and work toward my salvation and the salvation of God's church. God so governs all things that not a single creature can move but by the will of my heavenly Father. His is a universal lordship. Do you believe that? But not only is God's lordship universal, it's also a purposeful lordship. Everything moves toward the end which God himself has determined. Emphasized in Psalm 33 is the fact that Everything that takes place in this world from the creation on is the execution of God's sovereign counsel. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. When we speak about the providence of God, therefore, we must understand that his providence is God's sovereign execution of his counsel, his will. And that's emphasized in Lord's Day 10 this way. Providence is explained as the works of God's hand. 
It's the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs all things. And that truth is pointed to as a tremendous comfort for us. Why? Because all creatures are in his hand. There's nothing that escapes that powerful grip of God, the almighty God, our Father. Nothing is out of control. But all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. God's will is the same as his counsel. And it is very important if we are to see the proper relationship between God's counsel and providence that we remember what scripture teaches concerning the counsel of God. In the first place, we ought to remember God's counsel is not merely a blueprint for history. You know, we can also talk about our will. We make plans for the future. That's illustrated, for example, in a man's last will and testament. We speak about a legally binding will. When you have a will, you have a plan for the future as concerns the disbursement of your earthly goods after your death, and so on. That will is filed away for safekeeping. You might consult it from time to time. You might make changes in that will according to changes in the circumstances of your life. But ultimately, the execution of that will is not even in your hands. God's counsel, God's will is not like that. It's not a, de a dead set of plans filed away in some filing cabinet in heaven and consulted by God as the need arise. His counsel is his living will. It's his own sovereign determination with regard to all things. From before the foundation of the world, God has determined everything that shall take place. Everything. His counsel is his sovereign determination with regard to all things, also everything in your life and mine. And that counsel is sovereignly effective. It's not subject to change according to circumstances. That counsel determines the circumstances. His counsel is not a good guess as to what will take place in history. It's not even a good prediction, which happens to always turn out right. The power of the execution of God's counsel lies in the counsel itself. And therefore, all the determinations of God's counsel come to pass infallibly. But in the second place, we must remember that God's counsel is not merely a collection of decrees that 
perhaps are thrown together haphazardly or arbitrarily, God is not a God of disorder. So when we look at the events in history or in our lives, we must never look at them as arbitrary happenings or accidents. We may speak of accidents with respect to our own purposes. We may speak of accidents if by that we refer to actions that we did not purpose to happen. If you stumbled and fell, you didn't purposely do that. It was on your part an accident. That terrible crash which, in which maybe one or more persons were killed is, was certainly not purposed by them or others involved in that wreck. It was accidental from that point of view. But don't forget, with God, there are no such things as accidents. Everything takes place according to his sovereign will. Everything. And that single event doesn't just stand by itself. God's will or counsel is a unified decree with every single event in that decree being perfectly related to the whole of God's counsel and the focus or goal of what he has determined. And that goal is this. God has determined to glorify himself in the highest and best possible way and that way is by revealing himself as the Savior of his elect church through Jesus Christ, his Son, the mediator of the covenant. Everything that happens is determined by God to serve that end. Every single thing in your life and mine serves as a tiny piece of that which God has determined for that highest end. That's not merely speculation. God has made known to us the mystery of his will. He has revealed that which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. So we read in Ephesians 1. God is working. And that's true of things in heaven and things on earth. There are all kinds of things taking place right now in the heavenlies. The angels serve the great purpose of God to glorify himself in his son and in the salvation of his people. That becomes very clear in, in a study of Daniel chapter 10, for example. But we are also bold to, ex 
to insist that Satan and all Satan's devils are under the sovereign control of God to the end that he may be glorified. All the demonic influences we see in the world around us are subject to God's eternal counsel and providence. Providence is the execution of his counsel. Providence is not some vague and impersonal force. Providence is not it. Providence is not just a general way of saying that God upholds and governs all things. But providence is God's sovereign execution of his own eternal counsels so that his purpose in Christ is accomplished and it's accomplished perfectly in a straight line with unwavering progress the almighty Lord of all advances, leading all things to his own fulfillment. Through the entire course of history, through every moment of your day, God is guiding everything toward his purpose. In Lord's Day 9, mentions made of this valley of tears, which is our life here. But don't forget, God has provided some better thing for us. And that's been promised by him whose promises are sure. John was given to see it by vision. He wrote about it in Revelation 21. Listen to verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. He's the Lord, beloved, our faithful God and Father. Do you believe this? That God is Lord of all is certainly advantageous to us. But we speak here a confession of faith, don't we? What advantage is it to us to know that God has created and by his providence does still uphold all things that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love. Since all creatures 
are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Patience in adversity. Well, sooner or later, we all need that, don't we? Because this life is nothing but a continual death. Perhaps you think that expression taken from the baptism form is too pessimistic. It isn't, beloved. It's very real. And if you have not experienced that yet... You will, soon enough. And therefore we need that wonder work of grace which is called patience. And that's exactly what it is, grace. Patience is that spiritual virtue which God, by his grace, gives to us who are in Christ Jesus so that we endure suffering and adversity while fixing our eyes upon him who's in control of it all. And what this says, when you live in that faith, consciousness, that knowledge of this almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs all things and reveals his lordship over all, you may be patient in adversity. And you will be. Secondly, you may be thankful in prosperity. Sometimes prosperity might seem far from us, but people of God, we are prosperous. We are prosperous. God doesn't only send evil. If from birth on all that we ever knew was suffering and death, we couldn't live. God sends light in the darkness. Your way might be very dark at any given time. It might be darker than what you think it ought to be. But there is life and there is prosperity. Think on these things. And in prosperity, we may be thankful. That's our calling too. And when you recognize that all these things are from God alone, then you say to him, Lord, I thank thee. I thank thee for thy fatherly hand by which thou dost guide me by thy counsel. Lord, I thank thee that though my days are filled with evil, yet thou hast been good. Thankful in prosperity. Lord, thou hast given me the forgiveness of my sins. Thou hast given me 
faithful Savior. I'm prosperous. Are you a thankful Christian? To submit in love to that sovereign rule of the Lord of all is something that we do only through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him alone do we desire to live according to this confession. And according as we live in the knowledge of faith that God is Lord of all, we shall be without terror, knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. He who gave us Christ, he who manifested his love toward us in the death of his son, He's the one who holds the reins of history in his hands. He shall surely save his church. The storm clouds of this life may billow over us. The waves well nigh consume us. In the world we have to suffer tribulation. But be of good cheer, said Jesus. I have overcome the world. He's the Lord over tribulation. Know this, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Martin Luther certainly experienced that. Experienced in his soul the fellowship of God's covenant and the recognition of that God is Lord of all. He confessed that when he penned the versification of Psalm 46, which we sing presently. God is our refuge and strength, a helper ever near us. We will not fear, though earth be moved, for God is nigh to cheer us, and so on. Let's sing it from the heart, shall we? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank thee that thou art Lord of all. We thank thee that as Lord of all, thou hast taken us under the shadow of thy wings and dost guide us by thy counsel afterward to receive us in glory. Give us grace to lay hold of thee by faith, being patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity. Use the word preached to that end. Apply it to our hearts by thy spirit and bless us in the rest of this day. For Jesus' sake, amen.